All right, if you get your Acts journals, page 43 and page 44, we're in Acts 7. And uh, things are getting interesting today. Stephen is standing before his accusers, and it is a huge crowd of religious people from the temple and the, the lawyers and the, the people who kind of lead worship life, the chief priests, the, some of the folks from the community. And all of them are there because they're charging Stephen with blasphemy, blasphemy against Moses and against God. And so they've given him an opportunity to speak in his defense against these charges. And what we're finding out is that Stephen doesn't really say anything about himself. He's choosing to take his time to talk about God at work among the people and to talk about the the very people and their ancestors that are accusing him. It's an interesting defense tactic in a court of law. What we find not have made the most effective uh, lawyer, but Stephen was an incredible. So I'm going to read you the text, and uh, then we'll jump in and, and hear what it is, that it, what it means, and what he's talking about. Starting in chapter 7, verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers, So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all things? Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. If you're trying to make friends, this isn't the way to do it. Here's the thing, when, whenever we talk, when I, when I talk with someone about uh, standing in this place and, and, and delivering God's word and speaking a message, there's three words that I always remind them of. It. It's text, context, and application. In this church, we are committed to always starting with the text, and the text is always God's word. Not a book about God's word, but God's word itself. The context is both... What is it that it said to the people of the day, whether it was Old Testament or New Testament? What did they hear? What was the situation or the environment that they were listening and living in? But then also, what does that context say about our world? What does it speak to in our context of our daily life? And then finally, application. You can't take a look at God's word and saying, well, without saying, well, what do I do with it? What do I do about it? Who do I become? Who am I in light of it? And so text, context, application. When we take those three things and we look at this message of Stephen, we realize that he isn't just preaching to them. When we really dig into it, we realize Stephen is preaching a timeless message to us as well. And the message kind of goes a little bit along the lines of a big ouch. And so we're going to get into it, and I want you to remember text, context, application. Remember, we're reading about Stephen, a man that Luke describes as a man filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Never once does Stephen speak in his own defense or try to explain why he isn't guilty of the charges. 
The wisdom and Holy Spirit in Stephen are always trying to bring the people back to God. He is sold out for the cause of Jesus and the gospel. He is sold out for the redemptive cause of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. He is sold out for people being in a relationship with God, no matter what it costs him. And I wonder, what does that say about me? What does that say about you? What does it say about people in our world? Because it's easy. Let's be honest. It's easy to be a Christian today. You can walk out of church and not talk about having gone to church all week long. Nobody will ask you. Since we gathered last Sunday, there's a group of people who pay the price, pay the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. I got an email from a church organization this week, and what the email said is that all of the people in the Christian church in Afghanistan have died. They had names of every one of them. They knew who they were. And there was a group of people who were fighting the cause of the cross of Christ and went in and murdered every one of those people. And they're in heaven with Jesus today. Last Sunday, they were just afraid for their lives. And everyone died because they believed in the cause of the cross of Christ. Stephen is preaching because he believes in the cause of the cross of Christ. And what does that say about us in our world when, when what he really wants to do instead of offering a defense is to say, this is how God has been at work in the world. This is what God is doing now and this is where God is going. And God is constantly trying to gather people up. The other thing that he's proving to us is just because you've heard the truth doesn't mean you've accepted it, believed it, or started to live it. Those people who are in heaven today that were here on earth last week accepted the truth of Jesus, believed it, and they lived it. And there's a lesson to learn in our world today as well as a lesson to learn from Stephen. Stephen's words to his accusers then are as truthful and relevant to us today as they were 2,000 years ago. But the thing is, when those of us who have ears, we have to hear Because the application of these words isn't going to be easy. When we tear apart, and and I did it carefully this week, when we tear apart what he's really saying to them, and we take a look at what it means to us, it's not easy to hear. So if you've got your Bibles or your journals, go to verse 44 of Acts chapter 7. He says, our ancestors, he's been so good about making himself one of them that they share this this history, they share this, this place in God's family. And he's saying, our fathers, our ancestors, our patriarchs, he's always using those words that draw them together. And he starts out that way again. He says, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness that had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern that he had seen. What he's reminding them of is that there was a time in the history of Israel where God would believe to live among the people in things that were made by men. God directed them on how to create these things. The, the Bible records, here's how you build them. Here's how you create a place for God among you on earth. And there was a time in the history when God's earthly dwelling was, was in a place among men. It was here on earth and God, Moses trusted what God had told him about building these things. What he isn't telling them is that things have changed. Verse 45, after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who was the great king. They wanted a Messiah, a savior who was going to be like David, who was going to be a military giant. The reason that they did not accept Jesus was because he didn't bring an army with him. Like David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon 
who built a house for him. And he says in verse 48, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. This is news for them. This, this is old scriptures. This is their history. But Stephen is saying something they don't like to hear. They don't like to hear at all because now the Most High lives within us. That's not what they wanted to. They had built this temple. They had the entire world. They had everything understood that you've got to come to them. People had to come to them if they wanted to be close to God. And now Stephen says, no, no, no. The Most High lives in us. He does not live in houses made by human hands. See, the thing is, God dwells among us. God dwells in us as Christians. And the Holy Spirit, there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit who's alive in believers. Imagine how the people hearing this message from Stephen felt when they heard that. God does not, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. They created a temple with human hands to house God. And now Stephen is saying, that's not where God lives anymore. And what he's getting at is because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God lives in us. You talk about ouch, this is ouch. The truth is in their own scripture, but as they're hearing Stephen explain it, and he's explaining it beautifully, It doesn't feel good because it doesn't sound good to them. They're hearing in a new way, and the new way is infuriating because suddenly God doesn't need them the way he did before. And the whole way they have created religion around God's relationship with man, Stephen is saying, it's all changed. See, Luke tells us that Stephen was filled with wisdom in the Holy Spirit. And so when Stephen speaks, it's Stephen's voice that we're hearing. It's the words that he spoke that we're reading. But it is the Holy Spirit of God speaking through Stephen. And so when we say, what does this mean to us? We've got to listen carefully. Stephen is speaking Holy Spirit-filled truth bombs. Then he goes on and he's going to talk about their own prophet. So as a prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. This is coming from Isaiah. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? See, the thing is that he's telling him, we don't make earthly things that are homes for God anymore. We are to give ourselves as living sacrifices that God might live in us. And that is as true today, 2,000 years later, as it was when they first heard it from Stephen. Now, this isn't a new message. This is what Jesus had said. And he hasn't even used the name of Jesus because the charge is blasphemy against Moses and God. And what Stephen is doing is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you've ever taught us and everything that you've told us to believe. See, too many people today, too many Christians, too many pastors believe that our good deeds, the the, the nice things that we do, those brief moments in the highlight reel that is the best of our lives, that those are the things that God wants to to grab a hold and live in our world in. We want to believe that our ministry or our service or whatever it is that we do for God, that's the stuff that that makes the, the great moments. But no, it's much more simple than that. It's much more simple. It's just God living in ordinary normal people like you and like me. That's really what God does because of Jesus. So if you look around you in the room today, there's just very ordinary people. Maybe you do extraordinary things, but we're just kind of all the same, and God chooses to live in us. God's dwelling place is us now. The people sitting around you, just, just at this moment that God chooses to dwell within. And Stephen is saying this message 2,000 years ago, and it was just intolerable for them to hear because this message changed everything. 
And so rather than lay off, because Stephen knows he's on trial for his life, rather than lay off and say, okay, but, but, you know, here's what we can do instead. He chooses to do what we would call today a mic drop. And he doesn't just continue, but he charges. He says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. What he's saying is you haven't changed a bit. You know the truth and you choose to ignore it. And here I am telling you, and you're giving me the same evil glare. You claim to be holy. You accept the name being God's people. Today we would accept the name of being a Christian. But you don't live holy. You say that you're God's people, but you and your hearts are unchanged. You don't even want to hear the truth when it's presented to you. He goes on, he says, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He makes a change that is absolutely not to be missed and is quite earth-shaking in this verse. He says, you and your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. In truth, you live for you. You don't live for God. But you notice for the first time in his address, he's separating himself away from them. He said, our fathers, our ancestors, our history, our scripture. He has made himself one of them at every moment that he has been able to speak. This time he does something different. He said, you, just like your ancestors, he is taking a step back and he's saying, I'm not like you. I'm not like you anymore. And for us to apply this correctly in our world, we've got to be very, very careful. He says, you don't just disobey God. You resist the Holy Spirit. And you resist the Holy Spirit doing anything to truly change or to transform you. You actively resist God at work because you're not in control anymore. You're in active rebellion against God's Holy Spirit. A lot of people who call ourselves Christians continue to live in active rebellion against God and His Holy Spirit. It's called sin. There's an incredible example I experienced years ago. Uh, It was a a church that I served, and, and the pastor there, we got into a conversation about something that had happened. And I told him about my experience and, and my understanding of, of how it is that God works through us. And, and we got to the topic of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit any place in my church. My church. These words are important. Pronouns matter. I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit any place in my church because the moment you give Holy Spirit room, the moment that it shows up, it, not he, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is a person of God, the moment it shows up, tells you how well he knew him, you lose all control. And I refuse to lose control. And I realized I wasn't going to last very long in that church. But isn't that what we do without really thinking about it? I don't want to give my life over to the Holy Spirit because I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. I want to be able to make my own own calls and call my own shots. And I realized for the 11 years that this church has existed, that's been the biggest problem that, that people around us have with this place because we talk about, we invite, we welcome, we believe in the living power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work among us. And some people don't know what to do with that. So they call us all kinds of crazy names. And yet there's no way that we can be the church that God called us to be, that we can be the Christians that God has called us and created us to be outside of the indwelling power and presence of God's Holy Spirit among us. And if you understand that, you say amen. Because there's nothing good that we can do on our own. The people that Stephen is speaking to prove that. And so what does it amount to? It amounts to are we willing to give 
God's Holy Spirit control, which he already has in the first place, or are we going to hold on to it ourselves? See, what, what Stephen is really saying is it's, it's a lot easier to throw hate at a person or at a church that believes in the Holy Spirit and, and say that you're just dismissing him and then dismiss all of them to be willing to be transformed and to be changed by the Holy Spirit. If you and I continue to live our lives by our own rules, we're all sinners. We're going to continue to be sinners. But that's not the excuse. If we're going to continue to live life on our own terms, thinking we're in control and that, and that we're comfortable in whatever we believe, that's exactly what Stephen is talking about. That's exactly what these people are doing. He says in verse 52, now he's drawn a line between him and them, and that's important. We'll get to that in a moment. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Was there ever a prophet? A prophet was one sent by God to deliver a message of God, typically a message of repentance, to turn from your ways and come back to me, God would say, that your people did not persecute. Not my people. He's saying, spiritually, I'm from a different tribe than you are. Spiritually, I'm from a different cut of cloth than you because your people, the way that you continue to act and believe, persecuted the prophets. He's drawing a line between our ancestors and now he's saying your ancestors. He is not spiritually related to these people because they persecuted the prophets because they didn't want to hear the message. Because the prophet always wanted to call people back to God and that's what Stephen is trying to do. Good preaching should always draw us back to God, not to the preacher, not to the worship team, not to anything else that happens in the front on the platform or that happens in the church. What we should do in preaching is always draw people back to God, and it's not always fun and comfortable. See, the people that Stephen is talking to, they just wanted to live for themselves. They wanted to keep their place. They wanted to keep their structure. And this is where we get in trouble, and so I've got to tread lightly here. What Stephen is doing is he's calling out what we today call the ecumenical movement. That as long as you claim some belief in the Bible, as long as you grab yourself the title of Christian, that we're really all the same. And what Stephen is doing is saying that that's not necessarily true and we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful to make sure that we don't make the word of God say what we want it to say, but rather we read it and we talk about what it actually says. See, the truth is there's a growing number of churches and denominations and a result of that, people who believe that they're Bible-following Christians who are changing and perverting God's word that say, you know what, it says something different to us today. It doesn't mean that anymore. Yes, there's context, and we have to talk about that. We have to properly understand it. But when we believe and we know, because the Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, God is unchanging, which means God's Word is unchanging. And when we take the, the Word and the truth of God's Word and we twist it to fit whatever it is that we disobediently want to believe and we begin to preach sin as truth, it's not God's truth. It means that we have to be careful where we go for truth. It, it means that there's churches and there's people who might claim to be Christians who aren't our spiritual relatives because they deny the truth of God's word and they deny that the living activity and presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in the world. And it's easier to do what this group did with Stephen, and that's to just to lie and to, to persecute and to gossip about people who do believe the truth. Ah, they're crazy. They're too far over the edge. They, they, we don't believe that way anymore. You know, God's word doesn't change. But we have to change in light of God's word. It isn't a matter of better or worse because we're all sinners. 
It isn't even a matter of who's right or wrong. What it's a matter of is, do we believe in the truth of God's word as the truth for all people for all time? And the decision that we've made here is we do, which is why one of those three foundational things is all of our messages come straight out of God's word. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. But this is always going to be the place that we come for truth. And if that's not enough, Stephen goes on and he says, they even killed, now these, these other people, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Your ancestors killed the prophets who predicted the coming of the righteous one. They killed the prophets who talked about the arrival of Jesus. And so for those people listening, he's just hammering them. I mean, he is just coming down like nobody's business. And instead of stopping and preserving his life, he goes on and he says, and now you betrayed and murdered him, Jesus. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but you haven't obeyed it. All of you who should know better, you have taught us to believe the things that are coming. You've killed the righteous one of God. The most religious people in all of Jerusalem have killed their Savior. This did not go over well with this crowd. The Savior sent by God to deliver them from their sinful and murderous hearts. They chose their sinfulness and they covered all up in the name of religion. And that's so easy to do, to do in the church. It is so tempting because it's so subtle and we have to be so careful of it. We have to be careful that we don't say, well, because we're a non-denominational church that teaches the Bible, we're right and you're wrong. That's not right. That, that isn't even true. We can get it wrong here. We just try very hard not to. And I truly believe that Christians who go to churches all over the cities in our area, the county, the state, in our nation, and in our world truly want to follow God to the best of their ability. Which is why he talks about in James, woe to you who would be leaders and teachers. They are the ones who are responsible for what everyone else believes. I am responsible for what it is that I preach. We've got to be careful that we hear and apply. And so I get in trouble. And so I'll do it again today. I get in trouble every time I mention the name Oprah. People don't like when I talk about Oprah. Oprah is the one that decided to be a celebrity. I didn't decide to make Oprah a celebrity. Here's the reason that I have an issue with Oprah. Just because you know the truth of God doesn't mean you accept it or believe it or live it. Oprah grew up in the South. Oprah grew up in a Christian church. Oprah grew up knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oprah grew up knowing that there was one God, and that God was of three parts. God, the Father who created and redeems the world, the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and the faith to be able to believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son that died, that our sins might be forgiven and we might know salvation. That's what Oprah was grown up to believe. She understands that, but she chooses not to believe it or accept it or live it or teach it. I don't pick on her because she's an easy target. I talk about her because she knows better. It's the same group that Stephen is talking to. And as we go out into the world, we've got to be careful that we don't say, well, I know the truth. But then we go out and, and actually preach something different. We're always going to live something that's inconsistent with what we say we believe it's sin. But how it is that we present God and God's word makes all the difference in the world. So, so let's take a, a deep breath and, and understand what's going on with Stephen now. He's in front of this group of loud and angry and hostile and cruel accusers. We know that they're angry and hostile and cruel because they're the very same ones that put Jesus on the cross and ended his life. Stephen knows where his life is going to end. He knows where he's going. But he's proving that the sin that people are quickest to point out is the very same sin that we're most familiar with ourselves. See, what he's pointing out is that these people who are accusing him of blasphemy, they're really the blasphemers. 
They're the ones that have not followed the law of Moses. They're the ones that have not followed God's commands. And yet they're accusing him of doing it. And, and if you've been a part of churches for very long, you know there's people that still do this. They, they love to point out whether it's your sin or someone else's sin. They love to point out the faults and the flaws and the problems and the sins of other people. That's what these people are doing with Stephen, because if, if there's just enough of them that can, that can say that he's the one who's wrong, then they can feel good about being right. Unfortunately, there's nothing that, that separates people from churches faster than being the target of those accusations. And in 25 years of professional ministry, one of the things I've learned is one of the things that Stephen proves is that if we're going to choose the side, and you're going to hear me talk about that more in a moment, if we're going to choose the side of the accuser, if we're going to choose the side of pointing our finger and calling out the sin of other people, you've got to be careful because what I've learned is you're going to point out with your finger and you're going to point to someone else the sin that you know best. Do you think back in your time in, in life, about people who are like this, who point out sins and faults and flaws, it's always something that they're most familiar with. And that's what's happening with Stephen. They're accusing him of blasphemy because blasphemy is what they know best. And I wish Stephen would be the one that could, could preach this message to us today. But i got to believe that if he was in our part of the world, he would say something like, you know what, folks, if you want to get it right, mind your own bobber. Just mind your own bobber. If you're going to talk to somebody, talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about how much he loves them. Talk to them about that he loves them too much to let them live in their sin because Jesus died that we might be forgiven of our sin and live free. I have to believe that would be Stephen's message, that it wouldn't be one that, that points a finger and accuses. See, we got to talk about truth, but we don't talk about names. And Stephen talked about truth, but he didn't talk about names. That's God's business. Our business is to make sure that we get it right for ourselves. And how do we do that? We recognize our own sinfulness and we confess and we repent. That's what Holy Communion is all about. Here's the other thing I've learned in 25 years of ministry. Our sin, your sin, my sin might be different than someone else's, but it's no less. It's no less than someone else's sin. And if, if we're going to take, we're going to be on the side of pointing our finger at others, we need to realize that we sin just as much as they do. It might not be the sin that we're pointing out, but you know what? We're no less guilty in the eyes of God. If we weren't, we wouldn't all need Jesus. See, the, the simple truth is people who don't believe, people who are non Christians, they're not going to point out your sin. They're, they're not going to be the ones that, that try to make you feel horrible about how you're living your life. What they care about is, do you live the way that you say you believe? Do your actions lines up, line up with what you talk about? And when we don't, they call us on. It's called hypocrisy, and they're right. Because what they're really doing is, is they're saying, are you sure that's who you really want to be? They're pointing out, yep, we're sinning. But they're not the ones that try to divide and conquer. They're not the ones that, that drive us out of churches. They don't care what happens here in a church. They care how we treat other people and how we talk about each other. And in the end, that brings up a really important point. Because if we choose to be the accuser, if we choose to be the one that points our finger like this crowd does at Stephen, what we say about others actually says a lot more about us than it says about the person that we're accusing. If we're going to choose to spend our time pointing out somebody else's problems and faults and flaws and sins, it says a lot more about my character than it does about the person I'm talking to. Because all of you know as well as I do, if you hear something that isn't real or sounds like gossip, you know, maybe it's a juicy tidbit and you actually decide to pass it along. Um, but Stephen wouldn't have done that. 
you know well enough to know that, you know, I know that person better than that. I don't think that's probably true. And so your opinion of that person probably doesn't change much, but the opinion of the person who chooses to talk like that, suddenly your opinion does begin to change. And when we make those accusations, it says more about us and what we're made of than it does about the people that we point our finger at. And if we choose to speak negatively about people, guess what people start to think about us? Guess what they start to say? If we choose to lift people up and speak about them positively and put them in the best light, guess what people start to say about us? You know what? They're a good person. I've never heard them talk negatively about someone. That says a lot about your character. When, when we use our religiousness to stand in judgment of others, it doesn't say very much at all about the people that we accuse. But it speaks volumes and it gives a very clear glimpse into the heart of the accuser. And what's happening with Stephen is he's making a very clear statement about the heart of the accusers. And we need to hear that and pay attention. This is the time, then, you've heard me talk about this. We get to decide which side of the story do we want to be on. Stephen ends up having his life ended. We're going to talk about it next week. By these people that Revelation calls the accuser of the brethren. People that the enemy of God uses to to tear down and to malign and to mistreat and to speak ill of the people that God calls and sends out into ministry. We can choose to be on the side of the story that's the accuser of the brethren, or we can choose to do like Stephen and be on the side of the Son of God. And the side that we choose becomes very clear to the world. And if we choose correctly, if we choose to be on the side of the Son of God, What we do then is we don't accuse people. We talk about Jesus and how they might have life in him, how they might know life in him, and how we might proclaim life in him. People and preachers, Christians, who spend their time tearing down and tearing apart other preachers and other Christians, they're not preaching the good news of Jesus. They're just not, and we can't. They're proclaiming their own righteousness and their own religiousness, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests that are, that are doing this to Stephen. So the question is, who are you? Who will you be? Who will we serve? What is the message that we will proclaim? Who will the world know us to be? Who does God know our heart to be? This whole thing that Stephen is in, he had a chance to defend himself, and he didn't. He just speaks about God. He speaks about Jesus and he lets the people know that, you know what, I'm not the blasphemer. You guys are, but that's not what God wants for you. We can go into the world and we can speak life to the people around us, life in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this message, this hard message from Stephen. Thank you for this message that just, it's hard for it not to step on our toes because we all want to be the ones at different times that that hear a little bit of something that maybe is or isn't true, or we want to talk about someone that we really have no business talking about. God, help us to be people who want to talk about you, who want to proclaim Jesus, who want to speak life into the world. God, we have the opportunity to choose to be on your side of history. And that's who we want to be. That's what we want to do. Help us to be a church that brings life to the community around us, that helps to bring life to churches and Christians and pastors around us. Not by setting ourselves up as different or better, but by simply following you and speaking the life and the light of Jesus into the world around us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Here's the thing. Tough message. 
It didn't go well for Stephen, but it can go well for us because we get to choose what side of the story we're going to be on and who it is that we're going to be, who it is that we're going to present to the world. And so you've heard me say over and over and over, the world needs more men and women like Stephen, more Christians who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. If you say, yep, that's who I want to be, you know what? You can go out there and you can love the people in the world around you. You can love Jesus, you can love people, and you can teach people to love Jesus. And that's really what Stephen did. That was the heart of his message.